0: Next Block podcast, where we speak with the builders and innovators in blockchain, so we can learn more about them as well as the products that they are building. I am your host Emil Basil, and today I'm very excited to have on the show Chris Winfrey, who is one of the co-founders of Hop Protocol, which is a service that allows you to send your tokens across Ethereum scaling solutions. I got that tagline right from your website, so I hope that describes it accurately. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today?
1: Good, Emil. Thanks for having me on the show. Really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, excited to have you on. Uh, So to kick things off, Chris, I'd love to learn a bit more about your background um, and particularly kind of before uh, you even got into blockchain. I know you were working on uh, Ethereum prior to Hot Protocol. Um, I'd love love uh, love to learn more about uh, kind of what you were doing before that and kind of how you got drawn into it.
1: Sure. Um, So yeah, so I, I, I... was lucky enough to be introduced to crypto pretty soon after I graduated. Um, you know, I, we went to the same school, University of Michigan. Of uh, so I was actually living in Ann Arbor um, and, and uh, met some uh, guys that, that had started the Bitcoin club there. Um, Ethereum Great. was still just a white paper at the time. And, and you know, we, we started looking for uh, ways to build different things um, beyond just the money use case on, on Bitcoin um and so obviously when when ethereum came out that that was really fascinating because you know building stuff on bitcoin was super hard um and we had this you know programmable blockchain now and and so that that really grabbed my attention and and i just started learning everything i possibly could about it um from then and i you know i was doing ios development um throughout college and then uh you know after college i was working for a few agencies um I ended up moving to boston um and and uh ended up working with some ex uh, circle engineers um also on on ios development um you know they had kind of moved on uh past blockchain and, and we're starting a dev shop um and you know i was still just you know learning everything i could reading all the forums um spent a lot of time on on eth trader and in reddit um and you know th- things uh, started happening pretty fast for for Ethereum, and 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 you know I was trying to convince um, the the company I was with in Boston to start having smart contracts be an offering um, as a dev shop. You know I felt like wow. you know there's some demand there, uh, and you know th- I feel like a lot of people had gotten burned by that that uh, bear market, and and you know it, it, there was fears of like you know mining being centralized in china and and like uh what year was this uh this was um around mid 2016 when when i was first uh looking into this and then uh towards the end of the year um i i I quit and and i i um started a meetup in boston um the boston ethereum developers uh because at the time there was just one bitcoin meetup and it was kind of you know a few miners and, and hobbyists, and, and no one really wanted to hear the word Ethereum at those meetups. So, uh, you know, we started the, the Boston Ethereum Developer Meetup, and and um, and then a, you know, our own dev shop with with a, a couple of friends from from Rocket Insights, where, where I was working, um, and we, you know, it was called Level K. Uh, we used this this meetup to kind of, uh, you know, get deal flow because you know. We were, you know, the the organizers of the meetup, so we must be experts on smart contracts, and yeah. uh, you know, started getting clients around Boston um, and, and going to the different uh, conferences and stuff. And then we ended up um, getting getting a gig with Gnosis at the time. Um, you cool. know, they they brought us on to build some some really cool uh, prediction market based contracts, and then from there things just kind of snowballed. We we started working with a lot of cool uh, clients internationally. Um,
0: one question on that, point, like, w- yeah. w- um, can you give us like more examples around like the types of clients? Because that's still pretty early on, right? Like there isn't mainstream adoption or anything like that. So w- who were, who was kind of hiring your, your talents?
1: Yeah. So, so at this point it was kind of uh, beginning of 2017. So stuff to start, you know, we, we really lucked out in terms of timing, um, at, you know, starting everything because. I think, you know, the, the first meetup we had, like, 20, 30 people, uh, you know, I think the, the you know, the meetup kind of, we started ide- ideating around that, uh, end of 2016, but then it was kind of like the early 2017, and and then people just were so excited about Ethereum at that time, ICOs were starting to happen, Augur had done their ICO, um, and, you know, that that really heated things up, because there's, there, there's plenty of clients that, that were looking to just, you know, launch a token at the time um, so we worked with some of those folks but then we also worked with projects that were kind of like much deeper in the tech like gnosis um, with with that project we worked with um, Aragon um, on on another uh, uh, front-end project um, and then you know a few folks around Boston that were kind of uh, starting to to uh, jump into the the blockchain space
0: and um, um, when you say we who is that was that is that like the, the team you have now, or kind of, can you talk about that a bit?
1: Yeah. So, so I had, uh, two friends from, from rocket insights that, that we, you know, we started, uh, level K together and, and, um, and then yeah, built that out. And, and so I, I actually didn't meet my co- current co-founders till uh, a bit later. Um, okay. so, so with level K, we, we jumped into the, the auditing business and, and, um, you know, that, that was a piece of the, the company that, that I, you know, headed up and, um, you know, we started out, we just got, uh, you know, solicited like, Hey, can you do this audit? And, and we turned it down. We, we said, no, you know, we're not, we're not auditors. Like we don't do this. And they you know, the project was just like, Hey, you know, we believe in you guys. We've seen what the smart contracts you guys have built, just, just audit it. And you know, they, they said we did a really good job. We started getting more clients. Oh, so
0: auditing the contract, not, not, not financial auditing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I
0: see. Okay. Oh, very cool. Yeah,
1: and um, yeah, so yeah, so, so the security auditing, I should say. Um, yeah. and, and so, and then we ended up um, getting. By the way, that's a pretty uh,
0: big uh, accolade of someone saying, "No, you are like, we 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 want you to audit our contracts because we think your work is is pretty stellar." I mean, that's a that's a pretty high high bar, you know. So. Yeah,
1: we, we were super excited about it. It, it, it was um, Roman Storm, who who was working at at POA at the time, uh, and, and then went on to build uh, Tornado Cache.
0: Oh, very cool! Um, very cool! Wow! It,
1: and so, um, so yeah, so the, then we we caught a big break. We 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 um, landed uh, auditing the Open Zeppelin framework, um, which we were super excited about. Um, and, and you know, th- this is like something that. You know was built into like basically every project on ethereum was was using yeah. the framework mm-hmm. and, and so you know we just worked as hard as we possibly could on this um and you know at this point i i had uh, moved out to los angeles uh and, and i i had met my current co-founders um and yeah shane one of my other co-founders was working on this audit with me um and and you know we just did the best job we could to to knock it out of the park and and they really liked the work that we did, um, and and so then we ended up uh, teaming up with them and starting working on audits with them, um, and we we covered you know uh, DYDX, we covered Augur, um, you know Decentraland, Trust Token, and, and you know a lot of big names in the space, and and got to work with a lot of cool teams and and see all their code and and you know you know found plenty of issues and stuff, and uh, you know that that was really fun and and. But ultimately, you know, we really wanted to, to build a product, um, you know, uh, you know, from the beginning, we wanted to build a product and, you know, uh, of profitable, but at, at the end of the day, it's, you know, you're selling your time and, and, right. you know, it's, it's, uh, pretty draining too, like it, it's fun, but it, it's intense. Um, and so. Um, Then, you know, uh, I I was in LA and then um, Miguel, Shane and I uh, decided, you know, we wanted to go after this opportunity uh, with contract-based accounts. We kind of saw this as a way to streamline the user experience on Ethereum um, and uh, yeah, just just kind of uh, make things easier for for new users. And so uh, we we spun the auditing business out um, and uh, started Ethereum. And and so we launched this a contract based account. Uh, it cost us about thirty cents to to deploy this account for users. So a user would sign up, we would deploy it for them, and they could just get started right away. And they didn't have to do like an approval for every interaction that they made. Um, they could just have like a username and password and log in anywhere. It worked on mobile. Like it it was this you know nice experience. Um, you know, DeFi started taking off and, and just drove the gas prices through the roof. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, pretty soon after yeah. we launched, it was costing $10. And we're like, uh, you know, this isn't looking very sustainable. We, Is that because you know, you're
0: deploying a contract for each? Oh, yeah, because it's a contract-based wallet. So it's a contract deployment. Yep.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and so we, we pushed that cost over to the user side. And so now it's like, okay, you know, it's kind of like users have to pay just to sign up. And then you know things just get got crazier and crazier from there you know pretty soon uh it, it cost over two hundred dollars just to deploy this account wow um, and it, it was roughly the cost of two swaps on Uniswap. so it's not like we were like had this really expensive deployment or anything like that um but we were registering an ens name for every single user uh you know that that was part of like the ux improvement that we we you know saw ourselves making um and you know, we, we just saw like, okay, you know, uh, layer one is, is not the place for new users. It's, it's too expensive. Uh, they've all gotten pushed out. Um, it only really makes sense if, if you're if you're doing DeFi transactions and you're dealing with, you know, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Otherwise, you just the fees will eat through all of the profits. Um, and so at, at that point, you know, we, we had raised some money, uh, you know, we, we, were, we had kind of like shut the auditing business down uh, to, just to focus on Ethereum and, um, you know, we, we were in a good spot, but, but we, we knew that we had to make changes, uh, in order for Ethereum to have a future. Cause it just like, wasn't, it was too expensive on layer one. So we, we started. And this is what,
0: like mid, mid 2020, something around that, like around DeFi summer.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and so we started looking for ways to get our users onto layer two. Um, and, and so we, we started integrating with various layer twos and uh, we, we'd see our users kind of go to layer two, they'd make a few trades and then, and then come back. We didn't really have uh, general purpose layer twos quite
0: yet at the time. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and they Which weren't really saving were
0: at the time. Cause I know a lot of them had just gone into production this year. So like what was available last year?
1: It was uh, Diversify, uh, which is um, was eFinex kind of uh, then pivoted to Diversify. And, and so they were kind of uh, built on Starkware's technology um, and then uh, Loopring was another one. And, and so both of them were basically like layer two trading platforms, at least at the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and yeah, so, so, you know, we saw users kind of like bridge over, they make a few transactions, come back and they weren't saving any gas or saving any money because they pay so much just to bridge over that right. they might as well have just made a trade on right, layer one. Right, because you still
0: need a transaction on layer one at the end of the day. And so you're yeah. not getting around that. Yep.
1: And so, so at that point, we're like, okay, we need our users just to be like layer two citizens. <laughs> they, they need to stay on layer yeah. two and, and just never leave um, and, and never go to layer one where we have to deploy this contract-based account. Um, and so we started looking
0: thinking of this in terms of, um, when you're saying we want our users to stay on layer two, are you still thinking of this in terms of giving them a wallet on layer two or what's the sort of product that you're building for them on, on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, At the time we were still kind of thinking about this in the context of Ethereum. like how, how do we, how does, you know, if Ethereum has a future, it's probably on layer two. Uh, but then, you know, if we have this like disjointed, uh, layer two ecosystem, then how, ha- how do we avoid layer one completely? Because that, that's where, you know, it, it just got uh, too expensive. And, yeah. um, so yeah, as we started looking into ways, uh, to do this and, and kind of came up with, uh, you know, this idea that, that was hot. Um, and so we, we, uh, put out the white paper and a demo. Um, and, you know, already at the time we realized, you know, maybe this thing could stand on its own and, you know, outside of Ethereum. So we, we did make it like a separate app and everything, um, that, that got a lot of traction and, and so, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there. And, and, uh, you know, we, we, um, turned off signups for Ethereum we're, we're, you know, winding it down very slowly, uh, and, you know, just went full speed ahead on, on hop.
0: Cool. You kind of just glossed over really quick. You were like, "Yeah, we just created a white paper." What's that process like? Like, I kind of uh, browsed through your white paper. That 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 looks like it, you know, requires a fair amount of effort to to create.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely was. I, I I definitely don't have a like a background writing, you know, that type of like academic paper. So uh, you know, it was like a lot of reading and learning and f- feedback and and stuff like that. Um, but we actually built out like the initial uh, version of the contracts and everything before even writing the white paper. Like we, we, we got everything working, knew how it worked. We're, we're like, uh, you know, had, had all the pieces in place and we were like, right. but we still need a way to kind of communicate this idea to, to people.
0: And is the white, so then we're, did you create the white paper, um, I guess for investment or kind of who, who was your target audience there? Was it just for like the developer community to kind of understand better? How Hop works?
1: Yeah, we 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 wanted to kind of um, have Hop uh, l- like get traction in the research community before before the investment community because um, you know we saw that as the best way to kind of like actually get real feedback and and so um, and then at the time um, you know Vitalik had been calling for this as an unsolved problem, like, like basically a way to, to swap, uh, tokens across different rollups. Um, cause mm-hmm. you know, he had already kind of laid out, okay. You know, a good future of, of Ethereum is, is, you know, one that's rollup centric where, where basically all the, the, uh, activity happens on rollups. Um, and then, and then we, we scale the layer one blockchain by adding these, uh, these data shards that, that, um, basically can just be used by rollups to, to post data, which is kind of this like necessary, uh, uh, piece of, um, running a rollup and, and, uh, you know, he kind of laid that out as like, this is how we can scale Ethereum. Uh, but if we do have like this disjointed rollup space, then we, we need this way to kind of bridge, um, you know, uh, assets across the different rollups. And and so we, you know, we just posted it on, on ETH research knowing, you know, th- that that's where like all the folks that were kind of deep in this stuff were. Um, and, and, you know, he actually commented on it, gave some feedback um, on the idea. And, and uh, yeah, we, and then we, we found come. a lot of good contacts just from that initial post.
0: Nice. Nice. That's uh, quite quite the journey from like developing on Bitcoin back in the day to like starting with Ethereum and um, I mean, you've been in the space now for, for many, many years. I feel like we could take this conversation so many ways. Um, I do want to uh, get to Hot Protocol and kind of talk more about that. Um, but yeah, that is a really fascinating journey. Um, I guess the first question is, uh, is, is Hot Protocol live in production right now? It's on, on Mainnet.
1: Mm-hmm. It's live um, and, and we're, we're closing in on uh, $200 million in, in volume, uh, cumulative
0: volume. Wow. That was my next question, actually. So, so when you're about to push a product that sort of enables users to send like millions of dollars, at what point do you feel confident that like, okay, yes, we can actually ship this?
1: That's a good question. Um, I, I, you know, still lose sleep over it. Uh, it <laughs> it's, you know, been growing and, and you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to ever get over it. But, um, you know, I, I do feel good that, that like our background is in kind of security audits. We, we, we know the exploits, we know what to look for. Um, right. This stuff is still risky, you know, no matter what, um, you know, we, we always say true security comes from uh, just having, you know, th- the length of time a project's been live and the amount of money that's been at risk. And, and you right. know, that's the only real way to, to prove security. Um, but that being said, you know, we've now completed three different audits um, uh, you know, we, our most recent one was with Trail of Bits. We, we plan to just, uh, you know, keep um, adding uh, more and more security audits as we go on. Cool. Um, because, yeah, the, the, you know, especially uh, cross, cross-chain cross and, and dealing with scaling solutions and roll-ups, and all this stuff is so new that, that, you know, that there's a large attack surface, this stuff's risky, um, but, uh, you know, we, we got to put it out there uh, to, right. to push things forward
0: because right, it's not just your your code it's the all the dependencies of the other layer twos and things like that um did you guys ever do any like training wheels or anything like that like limiting the the volume or the uh i don't know the amounts that could be sent or something like that or was it just like flip a switch and where all systems go in production
1: yeah so we ran it um kind of on our own for for many months uh just, just like testing the system and and uh that you know so that could could be considered the training wheels, but, um, once it was live, it was live. And, and yeah, we, we started with one asset. So that, that kind of, um, kept things, uh, somewhat in check. Um, but, but yeah, we, you know, I I think on the first day there was over, over a few million dollars or at least $1 million. Wow. Yeah. In the contract. And, um,
0: what was that, that date or month? Uh, that was,
1: I think July 11th. Or June, okay. June 11th. I, I can't remember.
0: So, so okay. it's been about three months, three, four months at this point. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So that's actually a good segue to talking about the, um, talking about the, the, the single asset. So what I'd like to do to kind of just help the listeners, uh, kind of understand the product is I'm just going to kind of describe. So I, I went through the process of transferring a token, uh, from, I think it was optimism to arbitrum or vice versa. Um, and I just like to, I'm going to like describe what that process is and just ask you questions along the way about kind of what that is. So, so I, I, uh, so I go to hop.exchange and I, I, go to the app and the first thing I need to do is select a token. And right now there's, there's five, there's USDC, Tether, Matic, DAI, and ETH. Um, how did you pick these five to start with?
1: Um, so, so we, we started with, uh, stable coins, um, just because they're, they're a little bit easier to deal with than ETH. Um, ETH is, is by far the biggest asset. Um, and then we also uh, chose MATIC because it's the native token on Polygon, which is one of the solutions we support. So it's actually needed by users to, to pay for gas. Um, but Got if it. you look at uh, kind of the breakdown of all assets on layer two, um, ETH, WBDC, uh, the three big stable coins, DAI, USDC, and USDT, covers 95% of, of the value, uh, that exists on, on, uh, Ethereum layer twos.
0: Wow. I didn't realize that 95%. Okay. So it makes sense that you would start with those. And, and so what's the, what's the level of effort of sort of expanding that to be like, you know, dozens or hundreds of, 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 uh, tokens, like, does each one require its own contract or kind of, can you talk a bit about that?
1: Yeah. So, so for each asset, we, we basically have a a set of bridge contracts. Um, so they all, each asset is kind of independent from each other at the contract level. Um, and, and there's a bridge contract on, um, layer one, as well as each of the scaling solutions that we support. Okay. Um,
0: So if I deploy, or if if you're going to deploy, let's pick an asset, um, uh, what's a uniswap well, yeah, let's call it Uniswap, even though mm -hmm. that might, um, so so if, if we deploy Uniswap, then we'll have a set of contracts that will just be used when when I'm using Uniswap and those contracts will get deployed to mainnet and to all the other networks or layer twos as well. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so we, we have that process pretty automated. Um, the the liquidity requirements, are, you know, it hop, hop scales up uh, much better than it scales down um, because uh, we, we, we basically do these you know, batch settlements and the larger the batches are, the more efficient they are because it's, it's you know, one layer one transaction regardless of how the, big, the batch is. Um, right. so, so in terms of asset support, we, we kind of see ourselves supporting these, these core assets as the core bridge, but then um, in the future we'll allow for uh, swapping into that, you know, basically swapping into that asset at the source, uh, like what, where you're sending from and then swapping mm-hmm. out of that asset at the destination and and that's how we plan to basically address bridging the long tail of tokens uh where, where you know say you wanted to bridge um you know uh uni but we didn't have a uni bridge then then you could uh use like the stablecoin bridge where it would swap uni to stablecoin it it would bridge across and then swap back to uni uh, at the destination and yeah. still be abstracted from the user
0: Got it, because these are probably the most popular sort of trading pairs for all of these other assets, which you're going to need. Cool. And so in terms of like upgrades, um, you know, say, say you find a bug in, 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 in one of the contracts. Um, and uh, can you talk a bit about kind of how do you deploy that across sort of several contracts for several tokens across all these other uh, sort of networks and things like that? Like is that a coordinated process, or is that just sort of a one-off that you have to do for each?
1: So um, Hop is set up very much like Uniswap in that the contracts aren't upgradable, um, and, and okay. so in, in terms of uh, progressing the system, we'll do a full redeployment and then um, you know migration that 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 like an opt-in migration, um, and, and so. There is a governance contract. Um, currently, it's a multi-sig that that is on a time delay. So, so you know, any kind of actions can be um, vetted during that time delay. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the the governance contract can basically control the parameters of the bridge. Uh, there, you know, if a bug were to come up, there may be things that that we could push to uh, mitigate uh, those issues. But we can't actually um, upgrade the contracts.
0: Oh, interesting. So then. Okay. That's interesting. So then whatever is there is, is live. And then, um, yeah. And then if you have a new version, you just kind of have to, like you're saying, have the user opt into that one and then migrate their, migrate their, their, their tokens. Has that kind of, um, been an issue for you guys? Like, have you found some things that you're like, oh man, this would be, I I wish we could upgrade this or have you been pretty sort of happy with kind of what, what's been shipped?
1: um there are uh there are things that we we've like already implemented for kind of the next version um you know more event tracking just you know things that make our our off-chain software run um more smoothly um but ultimately there's also a lot of overhead uh and uh Vulnerabilities that come up when dealing with upgradable contracts as well. Um, so it, it's nice not having to deal with the complexity that, that comes along with that.
0: Cool, um, cool. So I'm going to go back to the interface here. Um, so I've selected my token. I'm going to say I want to send. Uh, let's say I want to send ETH, and then I'm going to select uh, two networks. One is the from, and one is the uh, one is a destination, and so. Uh, one question I had here is to so say I'm putting in one ETH from mainnet and I want to send one ETH to Polygon. Uh, the value is slightly less than one ETH. Can you talk a bit about why that is?
1: Sure. Um, and So it might um, make sense to kind of talk through like how, how Hop actually works. Yeah, yeah. Kind that of the great. bottom up. Um, so we, we, we kind of think of it as having like three layers, uh, that, that, you know, that get to like where the interface is. And, and so, um, and then, and then it also probably makes sense to add a little background in terms of, you know, how layer twos work, um, and and the assets on layer twos. So, um, started there, uh, basically every asset on, on layer two is kind of a promise, uh, to a asset on layer one. Um, so, you know, we have, uh, rollups and, they each have uh, their own uh, message bridge, which basically allows um, smart contracts on Layer One Ethereum to talk to smart contracts on the rollup, and then uh, same the other way around, uh, contracts on the rollup to talk to Layer One Ethereum. And and then on top of that message bridge, um, they build their native token bridge. And so this is uh, you know what, what, you know, kind of joins the, the Ethereum ecosystem with the rollups ecosystem. And, and, you know, so users can, you know, deposit ETH or USDC, Mm -hmm. um, into this native bridge, and then a representation of that USDC or ETH is, is minted on, on the rollup. And, and, you know, the asset is just locked in, in that, uh, native bridge contract on layer one. And, and so that's basically how, uh, the, the rollups work, you know, on their own uh, in terms of, uh, bridging assets between Ethereum and the rollup. And, and so with hop, um, we, uh, you know, we first have built this, um, our own message bridge and, and, but this message bridge allows you to scalably send roll, uh, uh, messages, not just between the rollup and Ethereum, but also between, um, two different rollups, but in a scalable way. And we actually leverage the, the, um, the message bridges that the rollups have themselves. So if you imagine you know, rollup A ha- you know, has a message bridge with Ethereum and then rollup B has a message bridge with Ethereum, then you know, kind of the, the naive approach to sending a message from rollup A to rollup B would be send it to Ethereum. And then once it hits Ethereum, send it back up to rollup B. And th- this isn't scalable because it creates this big bottleneck with Ethereum where, you know, if, if we have like many, many messages coming from roll up to A to roll up B, then they all have to have like this layer one transaction. That we're back to square one, you know, right. like with, uh, what we were saying with Ethereum, where it's like if they still have to make this layer one transaction, it, it, it's not really, they're not saving money.
0: Right. And um, it's two transactions at that point. So it's even more expensive. Rather yeah. Than just going from A to B. Yep.
1: And, and so, so kind of the core innovation behind Hop is is this uh, way to scalably send messages from from Rollup A to Rollup B. And so, what we do is we aggregate many messages um, on Rollup A, and then uh, we we turn those into a Merkle tree. And, and so, a Merkle tree uh, for the listeners is is this like really compact data structure where you just have um, a small piece of data uh, called a hash, and this represents every uh, um, piece of state in the Merkle tree, and, and you'll see these all over blockchain. Ethereum itself has, you know, represents its its um, state in in uh, tree structure, and um, and so you know this basically gives us this this small piece of data that represents you know uh, you know a thousand uh, messages. And then we can just propagate this, this small piece of data through Ethereum to the destination, and then it can be unpacked at the destination. And the cost to move through Ethereum can be amortized over you know, all thousand of those, those messages. Got it, so
0: you're still going to layer one and then layer one to uh, layer B or layer two B, but rather than that being a single transaction, it could be a thousand transactions bundled mm-hmm. into that one uh, Ethereum transaction. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Very
1: um, cool. So that, that's kind of like the core of Hop is this, this uh, uh, roll-up to roll-up or scaling solution to scaling solution uh, message bridge um, that, that uh, is scalable even when going directly from one layer to the next. Yeah. And, and so, yeah.
0: It sounds, um, it sounds like a very clean design, like it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm curious, did you guys start with this design or kind of how did you end up kind of picking this design?
1: Um, we, you know, we went through a few different ideas, like, uh, you know, initially, um, we're thinking about hash time locks as, as, an approach. Um, and, you know, we ultimately decided not to go that direction because of, um, a handful of kind of complexities that come up, uh, w- with that design. And, um, but yeah, that, then, kind of, uh, landed on this one. Uh, I, I think one of the earlier versions had, um, like uh, a bonding curve uh, at, at each end that uh, w- was kind of like funky. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, th- this kind of like idea of, of compressing messages at the source and then moving them to the destination. Um, it, once we landed on that, it, it, it,
0: we, we stuck with it. Cool. And then, um, yeah, continue.
1: Yeah, so, so uh, you know, j- kind of like, um the native bridges they have their message bridge and the first thing that they built on their message bridges is is the their native token bridge um the first thing that that we built on top of this like cross scaling solution message bridge is a token bridge um or a cross scaling solution token bridge and and so we have you know we can't bridge the uh what we call the canonical assets or you know the assets that come from the native bridge directly Um, so we introduce our own asset, this intermediary asset called the H token. So, um, if you, you know, deposit ETH into the layer one hop bridge, you'll get one H ETH on a layer two. Uh, just like if you were to deposit one ETH, uh, into the native token bridge for a rollup, you'd get ETH, um, for that on, on that rollup. Um, and so uh, H ETH basically. Uh, represents a claim to one ETH, um, from the layer one hot bridge. Um, and then we, and, and so the reason we introduce our own asset is because we add this special functionality where a user can um, burn a on the rollup. And instead of choosing to claim it on layer one, they can also choose to, uh, mint a on a destination rollup. And, um, to do this, we, we, uh, have this role called the bonder. And the bonder basically locks up collateral and says, okay, I saw HETH was burned at the, the source. I'm going to mint HETH um, for the user at the destination with my collateral kind of backing that. Um, and uh, then the okay. collateral is locked until they can prove that HETH was, was actually burned at the source.
0: Got it. So so th- that use case, I'm a user on um, network A, and I have, let's say, one one die, and I want to send one die over to uh, network B, right. And so what happens there is the bonder will see that I, that I burnt that on layer A or on on network A and, uh, and then on network B will basically mint a die, right? Like the canonical die token out of their own, I guess, uh, account. Is that accurate?
1: So, I, I, um, I, so it would still be die at this point. Um, and, and so the, this HDI. is kind of the this, this second layer. And then the okay. canonical die kind of comes in th- the third okay, which I'll okay. talk about next. Um, so yeah, th- they would burn HDI at the source and then the bonder would mint die at the destination. And the reason that we do that is because we can't actually, only the native token bridge can burn and mint the canonical die. You know, we we yes. wouldn't have that functionality.
0: Got it, yep. Okay.
1: Um, and so, uh, so that kind of shows how the, the, the token is is kind of like you know disappears from one chain and appears on the other chain really fast. Um, and then where the message bridge comes in is is we um, you know make each of these burn events into a message, um, and those get all get aggregated, turned into our, our um, message route um, from you know mm. that, that compact data structure goes through layer one to the destination. Now the bonder can prove that, that all of these, um, you know, HETH or HDi that they minted, you know, also corresponded to a burning event. And uh, then they can, you know, prove that. And then uh, that allows them to free up their collateral.
0: Got it. Okay. Okay. Wow. So, so then your, uh, what's the frequency that that sort of batch of thousand transactions gets sent uh, down to layer one?
1: It, it, so it depends on kind of the volume. Um, so right now we have it set to um, every you know once there's um, seventy five thousand dollars of transactions that that have been burnt, then then we'll initiate the um, the the batch to go through layer
0: one. Okay, how'd you guys arrive at that number? You just picked one.
1: It, well, it depends on. Uh, so th- this kind of gets a little bit into the weeds, but th- there's like. Great. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> liquidity constraints with the the bonder so if the bonder has you know x amount of liquidity um, at the destination um, then like if we make the transfer if we make the batch size too big then they'll they'll run out of liquidity before the batch gets uh, pushed through so we have to limit the batch size based on how much liquidity the bonder has at the destination yeah. and this is kind of why hop scales up so much better than it scales down is because if you know once we can get to you know uh you know two hundred thousand dollar uh batches or or even like million dollar batches now now that um layer one transaction cost is is amortized over you know a much bigger um you know transfer size and, and we we can really uh kind of reduce the fee that we charge there
0: got it and so um can anyone be a bonder or what's that process like
1: so right now we, we have it set up just to be one bonder uh, per an asset. Um, and this is just kind of, you know, because this off-chain software is, is a little bit complex it, it, and, you know, we're still iterating on it pretty fast. Um, in the next version of HOP, we're going to allow uh, for multiple bonders um, per an asset, um, and, but it's still gonna be kind of this uh, whitelisted listed uh, role. Um, and it. then after that we're going to going to have a completely decentralized bonder network where anyone can just kind of uh, come in and run a bonder uh, as long as you know they, they basically meet the requirements.
0: Right. Um could you just uh, touch a bit more on that off-chain piece which which you were talking about?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so the bonder um, the bonder is the one that's basically responsible for for verifying these rollups and and the events that are happening. So they uh the bonder is basically like a it's a process you like run verifier, on a server
0: essentially is that like is it basically verifying the transactions that have happened on the layer 2 rollup to say yes this has happened ahead of i guess the week long period or something like that
1: yeah yeah they they basically say like okay like i you know um i can you know verify the rollup state and see that this transaction was in fact made um and yeah, the, and, and so they run, um, you know, the rollups nodes uh, to to mm. to verify that information, um, and then th- they'll make the transaction to at the destination to actually fulfill the transfer. And so all right. of that stuff is automated, and and so um, you know, event indexing is is difficult on Ethereum, and especially difficult on uh, new scaling solutions. Uh, so that that's a kind of hard part. It's just like actually making sure that we, we receive the event and it gets indexed in the database and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And then relaying transactions it, it is hard, too, because you're, you know, you're dealing with a fluctuating gas market. Um, you might have to replace a transaction. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, with Ethereum, our relayer was actually one of the hardest pieces of, of software that we built. But we learned so much with, with this, this uh, relayer that, that now um, with Hop, we've, we feel like we really have it nailed down. Um, but that, that's kind of two pieces of why, why this Bonder software is, is difficult to build.
0: Yeah. And I guess from a user experience, this is much better, too, because they can get their asset, I think, within like five minutes or something like that. Right. Compared to, you know, a week long uh, verification period or something like that.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, cool. Um, cool. Any anything else uh, we we should touch on before we kind of get back to the to the to the UI?
1: Yeah. So so j- just to like bring it full circle. So we, we talked about kind of this message bridge, and then we talked about how we bridge this intermediary asset, um, like the H token. Yep. Uh, but users don't care about H tokens. They don't want H tokens. They they want the actual assets, and and. Um, and so that's kind of this third layer uh, is we, we deploy um, an automated market maker an AMM, uh, you know, it's kind of like Uniswap, but we use a, a stable swap design and we deploy this AMM on each of the scaling solutions uh, and it allows people to swap between the canonical asset and the H token. So ETH to HETH or DAI to HDI. And, and then that's how we get this, this really smooth uh, UX uh, that you yeah. see. Uh, when you when you go to hop dot exchange is you don't even see this intermediary asset uh, but what's happening under the hood if you're sending dai from optimism to arbitrum is your dai will be swapped into hdai through this amm and to cross um, yeah. hdai is burned bondermint's yeah. HDI at the destination and it's automatically swapped into canonical dai and that's what you receive and and so yeah. that's kind of the third layer in how we do uh, the asset transfer
0: cool i saw in uh, on the site there's um there's a tab for adding liquidity. And um, yeah, I'm just looking at it right now. It, oh, I, I don't see any APR on there, but I thought I saw some the other day. Uh, is it, I guess that's the first question. Is there is there APR for adding liquidity to this?
1: There is, and, and, and uh, the rates can be pretty good. Some, sometimes it's a bit slow to uh, load, but um, it should be on there.
0: Oh yeah, it's on there now. Uh, Yep, APR two point seven. So so if you're essentially adding liquidity for like assets, I guess your risk of impermanent loss should be zero, right? Because they're always going to be in lockstep with one another.
1: Exactly. There should be, you know, uh you know, just taking it full circle, like the ETH you can always claim for layer one ETH through the native bridge, the HETH you can always claim for ETH um over the hop bridge. And so right. unless one of those assets loses their their peg, there should be no risk of impermanent loss
0: okay and where does that APR come from is that part of the the fees that the that the user is paying
1: exactly yeah the the um, for each swap through the AMM, um, it takes 004 uh, percent um, so four basis points um, okay. and, and that's the the charge that goes to the LPS
0: cool yeah I saw that and I was like, wait that's a that's a pretty good deal if you're getting like no risk of uh, impermanent loss there at all. Yeah.
1: Especially for the ETH bridge, it's, it's hard to find good um, ETH returns out there. And I, I think HOP is, is one of the best ones um, out there right now.
0: Yeah. You guys need to talk about that more. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So, okay. So back at the UI, um, and thanks for walking through all that. I think it was really helpful to kind of have that, have that backdrop. Um, Cause it, the UI is so simple. It's like you fill out two things and then you hit send and it makes it seem like it's all just kind of magic. But I know there's a lot of stuff that kind of goes on. And then there's a, I um, like this option where you can um, at the destination have that just go to like a different recipient or like a different wallet rather than just to your same wallet, which is kind of nice. Um, and so in terms of uh, fees for the user, could you just touch on those a bit?
1: Yeah. So, so- um there's a few fees and so one is the uh amm fee and that goes towards the lp so that one's um 0.04 percent um and then uh there is the bonder fee and this one uh will get cheaper but right now it's um 0.18 percent um and as we kind of scale up that bonder liquidity, we'll scale up the batch sizes, and as we scale up the batch sizes, um, we can we can drop this way down. So if we Got it. if we double the batch size, we can half uh, this fee. And actually, we're you know this week we're gonna or sorry next week we're gonna be reducing the ETH bridge bondor fee to um, 0.1%. Nice.
0: Um, what have you guys seen as kind of the uh, most most traded or transferred assets? Is there any that kind of stand out?
1: yeah USDC and eth have have been um the the two big ones so far
0: yeah and which networks Um, i
1: I would say arbitrum and optimism and polygon um kind of stand out um polygon so you know polygon was one of our first networks that we supported um and and Mm -hmm. so you know a lot of you know our usage is is still there, um, and then Arbitrum is has gotten a lot of traction in the past month, um, and Optimism is still kind of like opening up their whitelist and and yep. uh, still has a lot of traction with the apps they have. But I imagine once things are really open, um, we'll, we'll see uh, those pick up a lot more.
0: Cool, um, awesome. Uh, are there any sort of technical areas I didn't touch on that you think would be interesting to dive into? I know we touched on a whole bunch of things.
1: Um. I, yeah I think we, we covered most of the the technical stuff um, but uh, yeah I, I mean yeah I, I think that covers a lot of it
0: okay cool um, cool so I just want to look ahead a bit um, I guess down the road do you see the 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 primary use case here being like individuals using this or do you see this kind of being wrapped up in a in a in a sort of higher-level application, kind of abstracting all of this? Or Do you have a sense of that?
1: Um, so, I mean, we'd really like to see both. Um, you know, I, I, I think we, we really take inspiration from Uniswap and how they've kind of launched as a simple UI, and, and that's how they got their initial traction. Um, but pretty soon after that, most of their traffic came through um, other integrations that, that wasn't through their, their actual front-end. Yep. um and we're starting to see a little bit like th- of that um we have an integration with uh, polymarket which is a, a um you know prediction market uh platform where you can kind of bet on different like political events and sports and and it, it's a really cool nice user experience and they integrated hop directly so their users can oh, nice. um, directly exit um, we're starting to see bridge aggregators which is really interesting. Uh, you know, basically uh, like a one-inch or matcha, um, but instead of for uh, finding the best trading price, it's for finding the best bridge price. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, you know, we're excited to see more kind of third parties integrate with the the system.
0: Cool. Um, so, in terms of product roadmap, kind of what's what's coming up? Let's say six months, twelve months from now, what are you guys working on?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So, so you know, we'd like to. Uh, be able to support more um, like general cross-chain messaging. So we want to be able to uh, allow for basically a contract call at the destination when you send uh, your tokens. And and that will enable a lot of uh, cool features. Um, so for example, you could perform a swap or, or like a deposit transaction at the destination. Um, and then, you know, we, we've started talking to teams about this functionality and. and You know, other people have just kind of come up with use cases for for this kind of thing that that we didn't even think of. Uh, Like one person uh, said like, oh, you could like tap into liquidity on other scaling solutions where, you know, say you send USDC uh, and you want ETH, you could send USDC um, from Arbitrum to Optimism, have that USDC swap to ETH on Optimism and then have it send itself uh, back to Arbitrum. And you kind of like tapped into that liquidity oh, without yeah. ever like really oh, leaving wow. the environment.
0: That is fascinating.
1: Um, so yeah. we'd love to enable uh, that kind of thing. Um, and, and that will also allow us to do these kind of like any to any bridging. Um, so, so, you know, if we support kind of these core assets as bridges, um, but then we want to support the long, you know, bridging long tail assets. Uh, you know, we see this as how we can kind of support that, that long tail of assets is, uh, you know, swap into the bridge asset bridge and then, and then swap out at the destination.
0: So, um, so contract messaging is sort of one of the main things you guys are focusing on right now. Is that, is that accurate? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Any approximate timeline for that or?
1: Um, It's hard to say. it's coming soon. Getting a product to market is so hard right now because it's like the, the auditors are so backed up um, yeah. and, it, and it, it's just uh, hard to like really nail down timelines. Uh, but right. we, we do hope to, to have this out. Um, I, I would say first half of next year.
0: Cool.
1: Yeah. Um, and imagine with
0: uh contract messaging, like you're opening up even more attack surfaces and things like that. Cause you can do, Basically anything, right? It's not just trading assets or like assets for each other.
1: Definitely, yeah. It, yeah. It's something that you have to be very, very careful about, and yeah. uh, you can definitely shoot yourself in the foot um, cool. doing that stuff. Um, um,
0: cool. So, oh, anything else you were going to say on that?
1: Yeah. So, so uh, another uh, big area is decentralizing the bondor. Uh, we we really want right. this to be like kind of an open, unstoppable network, and and um, you know that that's going to involve having like a network of bonders and and um so that that's another uh point of focus um and then lastly we, we'd like to uh allow for bridging outside of the ethereum ecosystem so right now we're, we're very focused on just connecting ethereum scaling solutions um but ultimately you know we would like to allow users to kind of um you know branch out and bridge over to um some of these other blockchains that are, are starting to get traction Yeah, Um, and that's going to be a very, like a fundamentally different construction than what hop is, but, uh, or hop is today. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but we definitely think it's, it's possible.
0: Cool. Without getting into too much detail on it. Have you guys already kind of started, do you have some sense of how that might even work or is that,
1: yeah. Yeah. So it will it will likely look like uh, it will basically introduce a new validator set. So what's nice about the, the current hop uh, today, and, and it will stay this way for, for Ethereum layer twos always, uh, is that we don't introduce any new trust assumptions. You're basically relying on Ethereum's security as well as the security of whatever scaling solution that you're using. Um, but if we want to kind of bridge to these disjointed assets, uh, w- the way we see it happening is, is introducing a new validator set um yeah. and and you know this validator set could kind of attest like okay h tokens were burnt at the destination uh we can mint them at the um at the source and you know it is a a, a new trust assumption and one that's weaker than ethereum itself uh but ultimately we see it uh, still being uh possible to make this you know this validator set uh very secure and and uh being necessary to bridge uh, outside the Ethereum ecosystem.
0: All right. Very cool. Cool. So uh, one question I had is with all the hype around NFTs and things like that, uh, is it possible to transfer NFTs, or will that be something that is uh, going to be enabled by Hop?
1: Mm-hmm. So it's a good question, and and so right now it, it's not our core focus. We're kind of just focused on these these fungible assets and and um, you know bridging that, but. Uh, once we do support uh, more arbitrary uh, messaging across these different layers, um, we, we'd love to address this. And, and so um, Vitalik actually recently put out a, uh, a research post on like a construction for an NFT bridge that is, is really elegantly designed. It, it's it's um, pretty cool where, where you can kind of like uh, bridge an NFT and then you're actually trading like the, the receipt of that NFT that will uh, arrive in the future. Um, and it, it's a really nice construction and, and it actually doesn't really talk about this this kind of core, like how the core messaging layer would would work for this system. And so we, we see Hop as, as a way to kind of like fill that gap. And, and um, so, yeah, once we kind of get these uh, the kind of fungible asset bridges into a good spot, they're really liquid and we, we, we feel like uh, we have the bandwidth to do it, we, we'd love to kind of implement this, this design to allow for... Uh, bridging NFTs across uh, different layers. Yeah.
0: Cause um, I don't think I've heard of anyone uh, actually doing that yet. And I have definitely heard a lot of projects, you know, wanting to mint on, you know, Polygon or some, some other layer two, right. Just cause of minting fees and kind of all of that stuff. Um, but you know, the, the downside there is, you know, your NFT just gets, you know, isn't usable in, um, you know, in the Central Land or in you know something else, and and you don't have a, a way to necessarily move it across. Um, but that would be good. so. It sounds like that that is going to depend on this uh, contract messaging uh, piece, which you guys are building, and then the NFT transfer part would sit on top of that.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah,
0: cool. What would be the uh, the the first NFT that you guys would want to transfer? Ooh, I don't know. I,
1: I wish I had more NFTs. I I, I admittedly missed uh, a lot of the, the big NFT run uh, th- this past year. Yeah,
0: so, same here. I was too um, focused on I don't know what, but yeah, I totally missed out on that too. But yeah, we'll just have to mint um, the BB early on the layer two minted. And- or something.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> nice.
1: But yeah, it, I think um, kind of seeing uh, NFTs move to layer two uh, could be really powerful. And and you know, right now it, it's risky because you would have to kind of like choose one layer two right. uh, to mint your NFT, and you're kind of stuck within that ecosystem. Yeah. Um. But you know, I would love to see kind of these e- ecosystems start to overlap, and uh, where you could kind of have an NFT from one layer two, move it to the next layer two and then, you know, maybe use it in like a metaverse that runs yeah. on Polygon or, you know, something like that.
0: That uh, would be amazing so if, that was, crazy. if that was just seamless. You know, if you're like playing in a game and it's built on Polygon, you're like, well, I'm on Arbitrum, but it's like, okay, transfer this. It'll take, you know, a couple of minutes or something else like that, but then all of a sudden you have it, you know? And it's pretty, pretty seamless to you as the user. Um, and it sounds, yeah, like, and yeah. it sounds like that's possible. It's just a matter of actually building it.
1: Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, um, and it also makes a lot of sense. Like ultimately these NFTs can be really, really valuable and you want it on some like very, very secure uh, network, like rooted in some very, very secure network, probably on Ethereum. But then, um, you know, even like the optimistic rollups could be too expensive if you're playing a game or something that right. you're making many transactions. Um, so, you know, getting onto a network where the, the transactions are just, You know crazy cheap uh like polygon uh makes a lot more sense if you're if you're kind of using it in that context yeah
0: cool uh cool so uh, as we're getting close to wrapping up here uh, i want to try something new um so i reached out to the uh developer community and got a couple of questions so i want to ask those here so uh, first question is from a technical perspective uh, what do you see as the main difference between hop and other bridging solutions such as connects um, what are advantages, disadvantages? So I don't know how familiar you are with any of the other ones, but um, any thoughts there?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So, so um, we kind of see a few different approaches. Um, so Hop uh, kind of leveraging the native token bridges and, and then using these these like batching of messages and co- compressing them. Um, so far, we're, we're, we're the only solution that we know of that that's using this this method. Um, so we see that as as kind of uh, the bucket that we're in. And then another bucket is, is, um, hash time locks. And and so hash time lock is basically a game where, you know, party A locks up assets based on a secret, uh, and then party B locks up assets based on the same secret without knowing the secret. And then, uh, party A can claim at the destination that, and that in the process of claiming they reveal the secret and then party B can, can then use that secret to claim the, the, um, party A's funds. Um, and so this is uh something that we kind of considered when we first were looking at addressing this problem with Ethereum. um ultimately we decided not to go this direction um for a few reasons and and one of them is uh there's what we call a griefing vector so like a a way to kind of uh like stop the the network from functioning well And, and so whoever goes first in this game uh, basically, is locking up their funds, with, you know, for at least 24 hours without any promise of it being fulfilled on the other side. So it works well if you have a party that that's you know reputable. Uh, so you know you have some router; they're they're routing you know all the the transactions for the whole network, and the network trusts them to to not just kind of like arbitrarily uh, trick them into locking up their funds. Um, but but then it gets hard when when you kind of have uh, you push push this system to be like more decentralized and you want like a whole network, uh, because then the routers get competitive and, and, you know, they, they could start, um, you know, basically uh, tricking, you know, locking up funds in the system unnecessarily. Uh, and, and, you know, this is something we've, uh, that's been kind of like researched with the Bitcoin lightning network that also uses hash time locks, um, and, and just can make things a little tricky. Uh, and then the other side of things is, is in terms of speed, uh, you, with hash time locks, you have to wait for two full rounds of finality. So with hop, um, you know, you'll get your transaction in, in five to 10 minutes. Um, but, but in any kind of like hash time lock based system, it's going to be uh, roughly double, uh, that amount of time for the, the full game to play out. Um, there's a few other tricky parts like availability requirements and stuff, um, that I, I won't get into, but ultimately we decided not to go this direction um it could it could work well at the same time um cool. and then the, the third type of bridge is uh th- this kind of like uh externally verified uh bridge where and in, in, in those types of bridges introduce a new validator set um they don't share the same security as as kind of the the systems they're operating on mm-hmm. um but that's kind of uh what i was talking about in terms of a, a potential future direction when it when it is necessary for hop right
0: cool uh, and the second question, I think you actually already answered, uh, are there plans for a more generalized message bridging system for contract interactions? And I think the answer is definitely yes. Yes. Um, cool. Awesome. Well, I think that brings us uh, to a close here, Chris. Um just want to say thank you again so much for coming on to the next block and telling us all about Hop. Um, I think it's amazing to see how quickly you guys have grown from sort of the seed idea you guys had, like, I guess, a bit over a year ago now to, what is it, $100 million, you said, that you guys have already transferred um, across the product. Um, So kudos to you and the team. Uh, What's the best way for folks to get in touch with you or the project and uh, potentially even contribute to to Hop?
1: Yeah, the the best way is definitely uh, jump in our Discord. Um, You can also uh, follow us on Twitter, um, at HopProtocol, um, or try that out at hop.exchange. And at hop.exchange, you'll find links to Twitter, Discord, um, and everything else that, that we have out there. Um, but yeah, our, our community mostly lives in, in Discord, so if you're looking to help out, uh, please jump in, start talking, and, and let us know, and, and we'll, we'd love um, to have the help.
0: Awesome, great. Well, thanks again, Chris, and uh, best of luck with uh, getting the uh, contract messaging thing out. It sounds like that's gonna be uh, a huge one for the community.
1: Thanks, Emil. I really appreciate you having me on the show. It's yeah, been, been a really lot of fun. fun.
0: Thanks. Bye.